Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, my lovelies. It's a Friday. I have my warm, lovely Earl Grey tea in hand, and over here in Australia, it's getting a little bit chilly. Right now, it's roughly 14 Celsius, which to us over here, where the sun shines brightly, is quite low. So I'm really, really enjoying my warm tea. Now, I'm not going to keep you waiting, but I'll provide a quick recap from last episode for today's title, Playing With Fire. A group of colleagues from different walks of life have come together to try their hand at playing with spirits, dark energy, and starting their first seance. Where this story picks up from today is when the seance truly begins, and the heart of the story unfolds. Although this episode is slightly shorter than most, it is quite jam-packed, and I really, really love narrating this one, pulling it in from 1908 into 2020 with music and sound effects. It was a joy to do this episode. My thank yous will be at the end of this episode. Now turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and let's get ready for some dark horseplay. What's that? Is everything alright? Someone asked in the darkness. Yes, all is right, said the Frenchman. It is Madame. She's in her trance. Now, gentlemen, if you will wait quiet, you will see something, I think, which will interest you much. Still the ticking in the hall, still the breathing, deeper and fuller now, from the medium. Still the occasional flash, more welcome than ever, or the passing lights of hansoms. What a gap we were bridging. The half-raised veil of the Eternal on the one side, and the cabs of London on the other. The table was throbbing with a mighty pulse. It swayed steadily, rhythmically, with an easy, swooping, scooping motion under our fingers. Sharp little raps and cracks came from its substance. File firing. Volley firing. The sound of a faggot burning briskly, on a frosty night. There is much power, said the Frenchman. See it on the table. I had thought it was some delusion of my own, but all could see it now. There was a greenish-yellow phosphorescent light, or should I say a luminous vapor rather than light, which lay over the surface of the table. It rolled and wreathed and undulated in dim glimmering folds, turning and swirling like clouds of smoke. I could see the white, square-ended hands of the French medium in this baleful light. What fun! He cried. It is splendid! Shall we call the alphabet? Asked Moyer. But no, for we can do much better, said our visitor. It is but a clumsy thing to tilt the table for every letter of the alphabet, and with such a medium as Madame, we should do better than that. Yes, you will do better, said a voice. Who was that? Who spoke? Was that you, Markham? No, I did not speak. It was Madam who spoke, but it was not her voice. Is that you, Mrs. Delamere? It is not the medium, but it is the power which uses the organs of the medium, said the strange, deep voice. Where is Mrs. Delamere? It will not hurt her, I trust. 
The medium is happy in another plane of existence. She has taken my place, as I have taken hers. Who are you? It cannot matter to you who I am. I am one who has lived as you are living, and who has died as you will die. We heard the creaking grate of a cab pulling up next door. There was an argument about the fare, and the cabman grumbled hoarsely down the street. The green-yellow clouds still swirling faintly over the table, dull elsewhere but glowing into a dim luminosity in the direction of the medium. It seemed to be piling itself up in front of her, a sense of fear and cold struck into my heart. It seemed to me that lightly and flippantly we had approached the most real and august of sacraments, that communion with the dead of which the fathers of the church had spoken. Don't you think we're going too far? Should we not break up this sense? I cried. But the others were all earnest to see the end of it. They laughed at my scruples. <laughs> all the powers are made for use, said Harvey Deacon. If we can do this, we should do this. Every new depository of knowledge has been called unlawful in its inception. It is right and proper that we should inquire into the nature of death. It is right and proper, said the voice. There, what more could you ask? cried Muir, who was much excited. Let us have a test. Will you give us a test that you are really there? What test do you demand? Well now, I have some coins in my pocket. Will you tell me how many? We come back in the hope of teaching, and of elevating, and not to guess childish riddles. <laughs> Mr. Muir, you catch it in that time cried the Frenchman. But surely this is very good sense, what the control is saying. It is a religion, not a game, said the cold, hard voice. Exactly! The very view I take of it, cried Muir. I am sure I am very sorry if I have asked a foolish question. You will not tell me who you are? What does it matter? Have you been a spirit long? Yes. How long? We cannot reckon time as you do. Our conditions are different. Are you happy? Yes. You would not wish to come back to life? No, certainly not. Are you busy? We could not be happy if we were not busy. What do you do? I have said that the conditions are entirely different. Can you give us no idea of your work? We labor for our own improvement and for the advancement of others. Do you like coming here tonight? I am glad to come if I can do any good by coming. Then to do good is your object? It is the object of all life on every plane. You see, Markham, that should answer your scruples. It did for my doubts had passed and only interest remained. Have you pain in your life? I asked. No, pain is a thing of the body. Have you mental pain? Yes, one may always be sad or anxious. Do you meet the friends whom you have known on earth? Some of them. Why only some of them? Only those who are sympathetic. Do husbands meet wives? Those who have truly loved. And the others? 
They are nothing to each other. There must be a spiritual connection. Of course. Is what we are doing right? If done in the right spirit. What is the wrong spirit? Curiosity and levity. May harm come of that? Very serious harm. What sort of harm? You may call up forces over which you have no control. Evil forces? Undeveloped forces. You say they are dangerous. Dangerous to body or mind? Sometimes to both. There was a pause, and the blackness seemed to grow blacker still, while the yellow-green fog swirled and smoked upon the table. Any, Any questions, questions you might like, like to, to ask, ask, Muir? said Harvey Deacon. Only this, do you pray in your world? One should pray in every world. Why? Because it is the acknowledgement of forces outside ourselves. What religion do you hold over there? We differ exactly as you do. You have no certain knowledge. We have only faith. These questions of religion, said the Frenchman, they are of interest to your serious English people, but they are not so much fun. It seems to me that with this power here, we might be able to have some great experience, Hein? Something of which we could talk? But nothing could be more interesting than this, said Muir. Well, if you think so, that is very well, the Frenchman answered, peevishly. For my part, it seems to me that I have heard all this before, and that tonight I should wish to try some experiment with all this force which is given to us. But if you have other questions, then ask them, and when you are finished, we can try something more. But the spell was broken. We asked and asked, but the medium sat silent in her chair. Only her deep, regular breathing showed that she was there. The mist still swirled upon the table. You have disturbed the harmony. She will not answer. But we have learned already that she can tell, Hein. For my part, I wish to see something that I have never seen before. What then? You will let me try? What would you do? I have said to you that the thoughts are things. Now I wish to prove it to you and to show you that which is only a thought. Yes, yes, I can do it and you will see. Now I ask you only to sit still and say nothing and keep ever your hands quiet upon the table. The room was blacker and more silent than ever. The same feeling of apprehension which had lain heavily upon me at the beginning of the seance was back at my heart once more. The roots of my hair were tingling. It's working! It's working! cried the Frenchman, and there was a crack in his voice as he spoke, which told me that he was also strung to his tightest. The luminous fog drifted slowly off the table and wavered and flickered across the room. There in the farther and darkest corner it gathered and glowed hardening down into a shining core, a strange, shifty, luminous, and yet non-illuminating patch of radiance, bright itself but throwing no rays into the darkness. It had changed from a greenish-yellow 
to a dusky sullen red. Then round the centre there coiled a dark smoky substance, thickening, hardening, growing denser and blacker, and then the light went out, smothered in that which had grown around it. It has gone. Hush, there's something in the room. We heard it in the corner where the light had been, something which breathed deeply and fidgeted in the darkness. What is it? The Duke, what have you done? It's all right, no harm will come. The Frenchman's voice was trebled with agitation. Good heavens, Muir, there's a large animal in the room. Here it is, close by my chair. Go away, go away. It was Harvey Deacon's voice and then came the sound of a blow upon some hard object. And then, and then, how can I tell you what happened then? Some huge thing hurtled against us in the darkness, rearing, stamping, smashing, springing, snorting. The table was splintered. We were scattered in every direction. It clattered and scrambled amongst us, rushing with horrible energy from one corner of the room to another. We were all screaming with fear, groveling upon our hands and knees to get away from it. Something trod upon my left hand, and I felt the bone splinter under the weight. A light! A light! Someone yelled. Muir! You have matches? Matches! No. No, I have none, Deacon. Where are the matches, for God's sake? The matches! I can't find them. Here, you Frenchman! Stop it! It's beyond me. Oh, mon Dieu. I cannot stop it. The door! Where is the door? My hand, by good luck, lit upon the handle as I groped about it in the darkness. The hard breathing, snorting, rushing creature tore past me and butted with a fearful crash against the oaken partition. The instant that it had passed, I turned the handle and next moment we were all outside and the door shut behind us. From within came a horrible crashing and rending and stamping. What is it? In heaven's name, what is it? A horse! I saw it when the door opened! But, Mrs. Delamere, we must fetch her out! Come on, Markham. The longer we wait, the less we shall like it. He flung open the door and we rushed in. She was there, on the ground amidst the splinters of her chair. We seized her and dragged her swiftly out. As we gained the door, I looked over my shoulder into the darkness. There were two strange eyes glowing at us. A rattle of hooves, and I had just time to slam the door when there came a crash upon it, which split it from top to bottom. It's coming through! It's coming! Run! Run for your lives! cried the Frenchman. Another crashed and something shot through the ribbon door. It was a long white spike, gleaming in the lamplight. For a moment it shone before us, and then, with a snap, it disappeared again. Quick! Quick this way! Harvey Deacon shouted. Carry her in! Here! Quick! We had taken refuge in the dining room and shut the heavy oak door. We laid the senseless woman upon the sofa, and as we did so, Muir, the hard man of business, drooped and fainted across the hearthrug. Harvey Deacon was as white as a corpse, jerking and twitching like an epileptic. With a crash, we heard the studio door fly to pieces, and the snorting and stamping were in the passage. Up and down, up and down, 
shaking the house with their fury. The Frenchman had sunk his face on his hands and sobbed like a frightened child. What shall we do? I shook him roughly by the shoulder. Is a gun any use? No, no. The power will pass, then it will end. You might have killed us all, you unspeakable fool, with your infernal experiments. I did not know. How could I tell that it would be frightened? It is mad with terror. It was his fault. He struck it. Harvey Deacon sprang up. Good heavens! He cried. A terrible scream sounded through the house. It's my wife! Here, I'm going out. If it's the evil one himself, I am going out. He had thrown open the door and rushed out into the passage. At the end of it, at the foot of the stairs, Mrs. Deacon was lying senseless, struck down by the sight which she had seen. But there was nothing else. With eyes of horror, we looked about us, but all was perfectly quiet and still. I approached the black square of the studio door, expecting with every slow step that some atrocious shape would hurl itself out of it. But nothing came, and all was silent inside the room, peeping and peering, our hearts in our mouths. We came to the very threshold and stared into the darkness. There was still no sound, but in one direction there was also no darkness. A luminous glowing cloud with an incandescent center hovered in the corner of the room. Slowly it dimmed and faded, growing thinner and fainter until at last the same dense, velvety blackness filled the whole studio. And with the last flickering gleam of that baleful light, the Frenchman broke into a shout of joy. What fun! He cried. No one is hurt, and only the door broken, and the ladies frightened. But my friends, what we have done, we have done what has never been done before. And as far as I can help it, said Harvey Deacon, it will certainly never be done again. And that was what befell on the 14th of April last at number 17, Baddeley Gardens. I began by saying that it would seem too grotesque to dogmatize as to what it was which actually did occur. But I give my impressions, our impressions, since they are corroborated by Harvey Deacon and John Muir, for what they are worth. You may, if it pleases you, imagine that we were the victims of an elaborate and extraordinary hoax. Or you may think, with us, that we underwent a very real and a very terrible experience. Or perhaps you may know more than we do of such occult matters, and can inform us of some similar occurrence. In this latter case, a letter to William Markham, M. the Albany, would help to throw a light upon that which is very dark to us. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's finale. Anytime I get to do action scenes in audiobook fashion, I immediately fall in love with that story, and playing with fire is definitely a story I loved. Also, the opportunity to share a tale that is 112 years old in this newer format is something I'm particularly passionate about. Did any of you also notice the creature at the end was a unicorn in the painting from part one of this story? The lance that pierced through the door and returned back into the house with a snap was the horn of the unicorn itself. I like how they didn't explain that in too great of a detail, and those that were paying attention would have picked up on that. Ah, old stories showing us all how it's done, folks. 
Now let me jump into my thank yous because these are the legends of Patreon supporters that support this podcast and improve it daily. My awesome Ode Night Tea Titans. Matthew J. Bauer, Brighter Lighter. Nicknamed for being a summoner, not of darkness, not of mystery and the unknown, but a cleanser to those that wield the dark spirits of our universe. While others are seeking answers from a world beyond, Brighter Lighter reaches into the heart and essence of light itself, meditating at springs and nearby lakes to call upon forces of nature to guide his hand. Should you find him at a seance, he's not there to summon spirits or to find answers using the forces of darkness, but Matthew is there to be a brighter lighter, a guardian that keeps away the dark, that finds a foothold where shadows steal down open paths, a vanguard for the spirits, and a shield against the darkness. Maya, crystal clear. As a child, Maya would love the water, and growing up saw her spend more and more time in the sea, lakes and riversides, enjoying nature at its peak of beauty. Little did she know that she was a scryer until much later in her life, where she first lost her son in the forest of Eijendale. One night her son Malik stumbled into a hovel and became trapped. She was not to know. It wasn't until night fell that she began to worry. Her husband went out to seek their son but came back with a broken heart. This was when she sought to bathe, to obtain a clear mind, to relax, and find a straight and narrow. Thinking upon where to find her son, reaching into the water, she paused, only to see her son weeping by himself against the golden oak tree, a landmark near her town. She had the gift of scrying and realized then that she could view any location by her desire, and in this case, her son. Her son was saved, yet she never shared her secret, using it only for good within her family and passing the gift of scrying through generations. Solstra, Windwalker. There are many in this land that travel far and wide, without a care to bother them on their travels. Solstra is one such traveler who has freedom in her heart and freedom in her feet, tapping into the spirit of the land and the winds of our world, seeking guidance on paths that are treacherous and protection from danger that lurks in the darker forests. Solstra is gifted with the ability to pathfind, to win walk on terrain that would take men and women weeks in a matter of days. And with intrinsic knowledge of herbs in the land that she travels, through whispers of the spirits in her ears. She listens and heeds the advice of those spirits that educate her thoughts on herbs that are safe and useful to her needs, helping travelers on their way so that they will find their own path. Thank you so much, all of you. I hope you enjoyed the new chase music, the horse sound effects, and ambient audio. Thanks to your support, I've been snapping up awesome audio bites and having a blast. Again, thank you so much, you Shining Star supporters. And now, my brilliant White Tea Warlords. I own cows, Broven the Bovine Bringer. There aren't many a man who could tell you 100 facts about a cow and be able to summon the spirit of one in your house. Broven uses his ability to conjure up spirit animals to entertain guests, but also share futures of those attending his seances. Broven at first may strike you as a party trick sort of man, a mere entertainer of dark arts, but he's far from that. If you spend time with him, understand his ways, you realize his knowledge of the arcana, and especially bovine magic is heavily misunderstood and completely underestimated. 
One such skill that no one knows he possesses is the ability to resurrect a fallen cow, indefinitely. An innate talent that he takes with him wherever he goes. Brovine the Bovine Bringer, an unusual mix of unnatural magic and bovine knowledge. Lee Bauer, Spirit Wrangler. Working in tandem with Brighter Lighter, Lee's skill set is unique in that he likes the hands-on approach for putting spirits away. Spirits have a level of power, or energy as it were, that burns bright like a matchstick. And like a matchstick, burning brightly they have a finite lifespan, whose light can be exhausted through stress or constriction. Enter Lee Bauer, the Spirit Wrangler, literally grappling the spirit by its core and pinning it to the ground, or against the wall. His brute strength and willpower is what Lee has in copious amounts. There's no one in town that possesses the quantities of those attributes at his degree. A spirit wrangler that pins the spirits down to earth is a unique skill set and sought after by many in this world. Thank you both so much. I hope you enjoyed both your mini stories. And because of you lovelies, I'm able to purchase drone sound effects, new sting audio bites, and so much more. So thank you so much for supporting me. And of course, my lovely Grain forces, Chad Warren, Joss Heather, Lorraine Crisanto, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, and Tristan Casida. Thank all of you for being amazing and supporting the podcast. Seriously, it's great. I'm able to do so much more because of your support. For those of you that have reached out to me over this week, I'll be responding to your emails on the weekend, my promise, mates. Work at the moment has been particularly busy as I work from home, so I haven't had a chance to sit down, spend some time, and respond. But rest assured, I will make time to respond to every single one of you awesome people this weekend. And if you think someone you know would like this podcast, send me to them, and I'll do my utmost to fight off their boredom. Now, no more plugs from me. Enjoy your next podcast that's just around the corner for you. Have a kick-ass weekend, you lovelies. And as always, till next we meet.